Um, we are going to talk about persecution and the church. This is not a sermon about suffering. Suffering is the result of persecution. And you have heard that message a thousand times. So quickly, just to revise, through suffering we know who God is. We know who you are in Christ. We know what God said concerning you. We have faith in what God said concerning you. We find a way to be joyful at all times because we know that joy is a weapon and a key to unlock the hidden treasures of God. We remain focused on the course that we are walking in light of God's next footstep for us. We stay in fellowship. We walk in love and we always pray for others. That's what we do in times of suffering. And this is not a message on that. This is a message on persecution. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, rough topic, hard day and a heavy day. But we press in on the peace, the shalom, the shalom that we have in you, Lord. An everlasting peace, a transcendent peace, knowing that where there are storm clouds gathering, your peace can be present. Your joy can be present amongst your believers. Lord, that that might radiate to a world that needs peace and joy. Amen. Um, I want to encourage you in your spare time to read the entirety of Acts chapter 7. Um. Because Stephen gives an address that is the most extraordinary summary of the narrative of Yahweh and his people as he walks through scripture for the uh, religious elite. And one of the things that I think oftentimes we think is that this is a book for us primarily. We go, the Bible's for us. It's a book about us. It's not a book about us. It's not a book about us at all. It's a book about Yahweh and his relationship with his people. And that's really important. Now, you play a significant role in that relationship, but this book is not about you. (laughs) You feature, but you're a side character to the main event that is Yahweh. This is the thing that Stephen is addressing for an entire chapter. And honestly, it is a phenomenal summary of a relationship between Yahweh and his people. And then he does something extraordinary. Mal, I'm actually going to read from verse 51. You stiff-necked people with your uncircumcised hearts and ears You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but now have not obeyed it. 
When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and Yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed up at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Man, if the day doesn't get heavier. Scripture is quick to note that as the Holy Spirit descends, persecution breaks out against the church that it is not an unfortunate but a real statement to say that there is power in persecution. We don't want to hear it. It's unfortunate, but it is no less true. There is the presence of God's power in persecution. We see this throughout Scripture. Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad... For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In John 16, 1 to 4. I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said all these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. We see this throughout all the history of the church. Um, Tertullian, a famous a historian said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church, the seed of the gospel. 
it is a reality that as we follow the narrative of Acts, that what starts as isolated individuals like Saul, who later becomes Paul, rising up and killing Christians in the name of Yahweh, then escalates to a citywide initiative, then to a statewide initiative, and then to a nationwide initiative uh, where you see Nero fiddling while Christian burns on stakes and Christians being fed to lions. It is a brutal season for the church here in Acts that they're about to walk into. And it starts with the death of Stephen for his declaration, a fantastic declaration of who Yahweh is and his relationship with his people. But he is not afraid to call out the sin in these stiff-necked religious types' life. And as a result, persecution breaks out. My question is, how good are we, maybe it's not a question, how good are we at mitigating persecution in our own lives? This is what I've been grappling all week with. The gospel, the good news of Jesus has a multitude of steps. If we skip over the fact that we sin and just go to a place that God is love without an acknowledgement of sinfulness, we can mitigate persecution. If rather than saying... Jesus is the only way. But we translate that to, I personally believe that Jesus is the only way, but that's my personal belief. We can mitigate persecution. If we make a decision to say, There are a multitude of different ways to get into a relationship with God. We can mitigate persecution. If we make a decision not to actively share our faith in Jesus with a desire to see other people come into a relationship with Jesus, we can... Mitigate persecution. And there's a wonderful passage in Scripture that they managed to write an entire book on where one brave soul prays that God mitigates persecution in his life. And God grants that man blessed life, free of persecution. 
I'm going to read you the entire story of Jabez. Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I might be free of pain. And the Lord granted his request. And there ends the story of Jabez. A great man, I guess, who lived a life free of harm and pain. There is a way to mitigate persecution and live a shallower form of faith. We can do it. As far as I'm concerned, Jabez leads the charge. He's a Christian guy. Not only that. God has his hand upon him and keeps him free of harm and free of pain. And that is literally his story. Job, coincidentally, was also a man of God and endured significant pain and hardship. And so we dedicate like 28 chapters to him. Jesus is a man who walked with God and endured profound suffering and hardship. And we dedicate tomes to what he endured. I know nothing about the Ukraine. So I'm not going to speak on it. But we've got brothers and sisters there And their faith is being profoundly expanded because of the persecution they never wanted to endure but are now enduring. You can't refine fine metals and steel without the application of fire. You cannot refine your faith and see how bold it is without the application of persecution. And I spent a bit of time talking with um, Jordan, who came with Open Doors, and it is the cry of the persecuted persecuted church everywhere don't take the persecution away from us it enlarges our faith so I'm not going to pray that but I do want to pray as we have prayed that God moves powerfully through the Ukraine and as a result of this persecution that revival breaks out amen I spent a lot of my time wondering <laughs> how sharp this steel is. 
Because how good is Australia? I mean, really, let's be honest. If you're going to invade, it's a long way to come. Do you know? 90% of it is completely unoccupied. Honestly, you could touch down in the middle and it'd be days before we knew you were there. you got beautiful beaches and... Um, I don't really care where you stand with the government, but we've got a great governmental system that is designed to support its people. And I don't think any government system is free of corruption, but ours is pretty good and pretty in control and doing a pretty good job as far as I'm concerned. And that's all a real blessing. And we've got little moments where you're like... um, you struggle to have an opinion on same-sex marriage and you struggle to have an opinion on abortion and you struggle to say any of these things, but you could say it and you can have a strong opinion on that and no one's going to flog you and stone you. You're going to be ticked about it, but it's persecution light. But I do wonder if from the end of the Second World War to now is that we've seen a generation followed by another generation of really soft Christians pop up where our goal has been to mitigate persecution as much as possible. Keep things happy. Keep things positive. Let's keep things upbeat. And what we end up is a J-Bear's cliff note in the Grand Canyon of what God has been trying to orchestrate. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we, we also glory, we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance hope. Sorry, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The persecuted church is thankful. We spend a lot of our time being afraid. Seriously, afraid of persecution. Afraid of what might tomorrow bring. But in a moment of persecution, you become aware of the day. Do you know, it's the same event that happens in death. When you lose a loved one, you become much more aware of the brevity of life, don't you? You become much more aware of the present moments where you can spend time with those that you love. It's the same thing that I think happens for the local church, is the brevity of life... um, becomes the spotlight whereby you view the significance of Christ for all those who you love around you. And it leads to the boldness 
declaration of one person who has just been appointed to do charitable acts for the poor in that particular city to stand up and say, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. That was his death sentence. That he would declare that publicly. Not only that, he then has the boldness and the audacity to look up to heaven and say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The audacity of grace and love of Stephen in that moment of persecution to say, don't hold this against them. Because they are stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and they do not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. There is this profound contradiction of the peace of God on Stephen's life in this passage versus the sheer anger and hostility of the people who are stoning him. He fell asleep. It's the, I have a friend of mine who, I think he's Mennonite and he just doesn't know it. Mennonites are not the guys with the beard, by the way. Um, but it's Amish. I think he's Mennonite. Um, and we have a back and forward about um, whether or not we would pick up arms and fights and fight because he is passionately a peacemaker. So he would never go to war. He would never kill a person. He would never fight. Um, and I always, you know, quote Old Testament at him. Like Israel spends a lot of time fighting, you know. His retort is, no, Yahweh spends a lot of time fighting on Israel's behalf. It's like, he's got a good point, right? The only way Israel wins is because Yahweh is present and has already won. Have you ever noticed that? If you step back through the scripture, it's not that, I mean, we have the mighty man of David, but for the most part, Israel is a hillbilly backwater nation with no military might whatsoever, no significant battle wins under their belt, and they managed to dethrone the Babylonians and you just go on down the list of nations that are no longer in existence. And it's not because they were good fighters, it was because Yahweh was present in the city. And it makes sense that you would say before the Lord, have your hand upon the Ukraine and orchestrate victory in this circumstance. Because from where we're all standing, you go, there is superior might, superior firepower, and superior people on the Russian side of things, right? They're probably better trained, better orchestrated, but there is every possibility that God goes ahead and wins the battle and delivers peace. And 
And more and more, I just become aware that there are plenty of people who want to go to war and want to have fights, but I want to be a peacemaker. I don't think I'm there yet. I still have a great deal of passion for my family and I just think it would look radical on my tombstone if, you know, it said Duncan died in an awesome gunfight rescuing orphans from, like, Somali pirates. You know, like, you would read that and you would go, good way to go out, do you know? And so part of me still wants that on my tombstone... But I wonder if there is also tombstones being written right now where people are like, here, here lies so-and-so who brought about the peace of shalom of God where there was only conflict and hostility. And you go... How to be that person. Well, how to be that person is by not mitigating the opportunity for conflict and persecution to come, right? Let's not be in the habit of mitigating persecution in our lives because we're scared of it. Because all I see is time and time again stories from the persecuted church where they boldly stand up and grow a hundredfold in their faith. And I mean those who boldly choose to stay in the Ukraine for their faith and those who boldly choose to flee in the name of Jesus, in the Ukraine. I stand for both. What I want us to do now is take communion. But I'm going to talk you out of it. I want you only to come forward and take communion if today you believe that you don't want to live a faith of Jabez and you have a willingness to allow persecution to come if it chooses to come, right? So you don't want to be persecuted. That's okay. Don't take communion today. You can take it next week. We'll do regular communion next week. Don't take communion if you're not willing to stand with your brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, don't take communion. Don't take communion if you're secretly like, prayer of Jabez actually sounds pretty sweet. I'm just going to go cliff note option. Don't take communion. This is not the week for you. It's a heavy Sunday. Frankly, it's a crap Sunday. (laughs) I feel as an empath the weight of what's going on. And I don't know what to do. I feel like what Phil said about feeble prayers is the way I feel sometimes. I'm just going to pray on it. 
I'm personally struggling to come up and take communion. But I feel we have to stand in the face of fear and say, Lord, we will stand with our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. And if you choose to bring persecution to our doorstep, we have the willingness to push into you and find that very same peace that led Peter, sorry, Stephen, to make those declarations. Honestly, Peter makes the same ones too. The same kind of declaration that leads Saul to become Paul, to die Paul's way. The same declaration that led Jesus on the cross to commend his spirit into his father's arms on behalf of us. Fear always hides behind a corner because when we come face to face with fear, we realize it's way smaller and way feeble than we first imagined because we have the boldness of our faith. I'm going to pray over communion. Take your time. But I want you to boldly come forward and stand with your brothers and sisters in persecuted nations, not just the Ukraine, all through Africa, all through the Middle East. There's plenty of places we could pick. And let's take communion together with our brothers and sisters today in the Ukraine who are suffering in persecution. Lord Jesus, we mourn with those who mourn so that we might share their burden. And as we come before communion today and reflect in the things that you have done for us. May we eat and drink and share that burden with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, that it may steal our resolve and our faith, that we might find a renewed courage that we might find a renewed prayerfulness and that we might find a deep sense of shalom that there is a way to endure through persecution. Amen.